Let us pray. Open our eyes, Heavenly Father, to what you are doing in your word, and open our eyes to what you are doing in your world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Are you looking forward to the total solar eclipse tomorrow? Be safe if you are. I've heard very little about where to get the glasses that you need to look at it. Um, just found out that the Riki family is flying from Canada tomorrow during the eclipse. I think that would be really cool. So uh, came across a couple of good jokes for the kids. How does the man in the moon cut his hair? He clips it. And this is when I told the 9 o'clock, but I didn't tell them the punchline, so they had to listen to the podcast. What do you call it when you fall in love on August 21st in the total solar eclipse? It's a total eclipse of the heart. <laughs> Somebody at 9 o'clock was guessing what the answer was. He said, a lunatic? <laughs> the eclipse aligns with their first day of school for Spring Branch students. Any Spring Branch students here starting school tomorrow? If, I, if that was me, I would, know, I would feel like that was a bad sign, that you shouldn't be going back to school. So I'm glad we have something to look forward to tomorrow, because last week was a crazy week. And it left everybody wondering, what do we do? Charlottesville, Barcelona, Boston, Finland, North Korea. What does one do in the face of such anger and hatred? face of violence? How should a follower of Jesus respond? What are we doing here in church this morning? Are we trying to ignore it and escape behind our stained glass windows, withdrawing from the world, saying that's their problem? Or have we come to find strength and faith and courage and wisdom to follow Christ in the world? to be strengthened by his word and sacrament. Interestingly, the gospel story appointed for today is the only account in the New Testament where Jesus leaves his own country. He goes into a foreign land. He crosses a border. And while he's there, he's approached by a resident of that land, a woman nonetheless, someone of a different race. And she's desperate for his help. And it appears from the gospel lesson, if you were listening to it this morning, that Jesus was very rude. He ignores her. He excludes her. And in the end, he insults her, doesn't he? Well, let's take a look. If you would, open your bulletins to the gospel passage this morning, and let's have a look at what's there. So, verse 21, Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So, Jesus is in the north of Galilee. For some reason, he crosses the border and goes to Tyre and Sidon. They're not really clear why he went. Did he go for a rest? He certainly was facing a lot of pressure. He had told his disciples on their mission of preaching not to go to the land of the Gentiles. And now this is exactly what he's doing. He had... Uh, and now he's here, doing exactly what he told his disciples not to do. If we were there today, and I hope many of you are hope, uh, planning to join Father Bates on his trip to the Holy Land, but if you were there today going from Israel to Lebanon, you would find walls, wire fence, guard towers, the Jewish IDF, 
the United Nations peacekeepers, the Hezbollah, all kinds of tension around that area. Well, Jesus wouldn't have encountered that, but he nevertheless would be known to be someone from away, someone who is different, someone from Israel. So just then, in verse 22, following along, just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. And Jesus did not answer her a word. The Canaanite woman knows enough about Jesus and the religion of the Jews to address him as son of David. Seems to be at that time kind of a sign that they were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And she calls him Lord. She's deferential. She's humble. She's caring not for herself, but for her daughter. And there's a great silence. She says, have mercy on me, Lord. The Greek is kiri eleison. You know that term? Kiri eleison. Christe eleison. Kiri eleison. When we say that in church, our mind can go back to this Canaanite woman who is for us, who are not Jewish, who have come to follow Jesus from outside the Jewish race, uh, the mother of our faith. It's because of people like her that we are in church. And the disciples in verse 23, the disciples came and urged him saying, send her away for she keeps shouting after us. And he answers, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now let's be clear, two things. One is God's original plan of blessing for the world was for all the world. In Genesis 12, when he comes to Abram, he says, in you, all the families of the world will be blessed. But the second point to be clear about is he did start with the Jewish people. He called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jesus came as a Jewish man. All the disciples were Jewish. He reached out to the Jewish people. Not because it was to be restricted to them, but it was to be a staging ground to take his blessing to all the world. But they didn't always understand that. The answer doesn't seem to make sense. The disciples come and say, send her away. He doesn't, does he agree or disagree? Does he say, yes, send her away, or no, I won't? He just comes up with this word, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 25, she comes back. So this is kind of like when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. He interacts with the woman while the disciples are away. The disciples come back and have an interaction with him. And then he goes back to the woman. So again, a Samaritan wasn't really a foreigner, but really not part of their crowd. So she comes back and says, Lord, help me. And he answers, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs rather harsh. I don't know if... A lot of this is probably tone of voice, context. Was there a twinkle in his eye? Michael Green, in his commentary on this, says that because there's no uh, uh, punctuation marks in the original manuscripts, it could be a question, a soliloquy. Was he saying, was I only sent to the lost house, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? 
Was it fair to take from the children and give to the dogs? Matthew includes, I think, this, rather, which comes across as a harsh saying, because 25 years later, 25 years after Jesus has risen and gone back to heaven, the church has been struggling with its mission. Is it just for us Jewish people that Jesus met? Or does it go beyond our borders? And I think Matthew is including this to say, yes, we have a mission beyond our borders. They had gradually come to understand that their mission from God was to be a blessing to the whole world, to include the whole world. And so Jesus says, is it fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs? And she says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. It's a fascinating exchange. She's not put off. Jesus seems to be harsh with her, but he's, is he rather drawing her in with typical Semitic banter? She's certainly resolute in her request, and her love for her daughter pushes her on. She will not be denied, and Jesus sees this faith and is determined to draw her in. And the result is, he says to the woman, great is your faith. It's interesting to note he doesn't say that to anybody else in Matthew's gospel. What he does say, which gives emphasis to this, is he's often telling his disciples and his countrymen and his religious leaders, oh, ye, you know this phrase, right? Oh, ye of little faith. And now this woman, who he seems to be so harsh with, he says, great is your faith. Let it done, be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. I'm just going to try to put this in context briefly and then have an application. Right before this passage, Jesus is in Galilee and the religious leaders come from Jerusalem, which was quite a journey, and says to him, why do your disciples not wash their hands before dinner? It's sort of like moms. When your mom say that, it's just like the same. Why do they transgress, transgress the traditions of the elders? And Jesus has no time for that. He says, yeah, but you break, the tradition, you break God's rule to keep your tradition. You say, if I owed my parents anything, I don't owe it to them anymore. And he goes on to say, it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your heart through your mouth. So that's right before this passage. And now he's talking about bread on the table. And right after this, he goes and feeds 4,000 people in that foreign country. So he's just fed 5,000 peoples in his homeland, got the religious leaders upset, deals with this Gentile woman, and then feeds them. It seems that the act of eating, the imagery of the bread, is closely connected to what our mission is. It's much like Peter, when Peter had a dream, and he sees this sheet coming down of filled with unclean food, and, the, and God says, rise up and eat. Peter said, I've never eaten that. I wouldn't do that. Happens three times, and then he goes straight to Cornelius to begin the mission to the Gentiles. So this bread is a fascinating image. And I would like to think that it relates to what we're about to do as we gather around our master's table. I'm going to ask Sarah to bring me up a, a wafer. You're going to be invited to come 
to the master's table and to receive a piece of bread, which isn't much bigger than a crumb. And I think if we come forward to receive this, we need to acknowledge God's mission. First of all, that God has made everyone in his image, every family, tribe, nation, and race on this earth is made in the image of God. Each and every one of them has sinned and fallen short. And Jesus died on the cross for each and every one. And finally, when we take that into ourselves, we also need to align ourselves with his mission. Jesus isn't just here at his table. He is also out in the world, trying to bring his love and his blessing. And so when we as a family gather around, we don't do this individually. We do it as a community to receive the bread, to gather around the table, to be strengthened for mission, to be out there crossing boundaries, not just building bridges or tearing down walls, but just going past boundaries. Do you know the group Doctors Without Borders? I was going to say it in French, Médecins Sans Frontières. That's what we need to be like. We are a church without borders. Everyone needs God's love and deserves to be respected and to be held accountable for our words and actions that come out of our heart. I came across a great thing on the internet. I suggest it to you. It's called Accidental Courtesy. A blues musician by the name of Daryl Davis has traveled around the U.S. for three decades. He's a black man and he goes to white supremacists and he looks them in the eye with one question. How can you hate me if you don't know me? And he's befriended so many that he started a collection of KKK robes. As these people are befriended by him, they realize what they're doing is not a good thing to be doing. And they quit and give him their robes and become friends with him. We need to become friends. And I challenge all of us to find borders to cross. I went to a, say Friday prayers at a mosque on Friday. It's kind of a strange experience, just trying to cross borders and see what God is already doing. So may God give us grace to follow him, to be strengthened by him. Jesus commanded us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. And so let's get out and extend the hand of friendship. May this bread give you strength to do what he calls you to do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.